Hello again, friends. It is great to be with you today on another episode of the In Focus podcast, where we're taking another fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas and how they bring our world into focus and empower us to live a more eternal kind of life within it. I suppose that nothing is more central, and there's really no bigger idea in the Christian world than the gospel. It's not the only idea that comes to us from the Bible, but it's definitely central, and our understanding of the gospel will largely determine how we go about making sense of everything else in the Bible. So when the gospel is clear and in focus, the Bible tends to make perfect sense. But when the gospel is not clear, and there's a little bit of misunderstanding mixed in, or uh, perhaps the benefits and the response to the gospel are conflated with the gospel itself, suddenly we find ourselves running into all sorts of inconsistencies and confusion uh, with some apparently contradictory passages and teachings in the New Testament itself. Uh, But when the gospel is clear, it does become a lens which allows us to bring everything else into focus. It will make sense of Jesus' life and teachings and ministry. It will make sense of the teachings of the New Testament. It will make sense of the church. And individually and collectively, our purpose and meaning and identity will also come into clearer focus. So today is the first of a two-part look at the gospel. Uh, First today, we're going to look at the content of the gospel, and then in the next episode, the context of the gospel within the larger biblical narrative. Together, I pray that the gospel through these two episodes, will come into much clearer focus and with it, both the world around us and our lives within it. So why would we begin today with the content of the gospel? Because apparently there's a great deal of confusion about what exactly is and isn't the gospel. There are a number of books available on the topic, from the explicit gospel to what is the gospel. And the funny thing is that the content of these quote-unquote gospel books and no doubt the thousands of gospel sermons delivered by preachers through the years aren't the same thing, and they're not talking about the same thing. Sometimes they may overlap a bit, but others times they're not even close. Uh, So since the gospel lies at the heart of the Bible and the Christian faith, that's not a good thing. So here's my proposed solution. We go back to the Bible to see what it says is the gospel, not just to see what it says in general, not to determine which of all Christian ideas may or may not be true, but to see what the Bible explicitly states is the gospel. Despite the confusion and varied opinions on this topic, this exercise of looking to the Bible is actually pretty clear and simple for anyone with the fortitude of character and the humility to simply let the Bible speak for itself. Before we take a look at some explicit gospel passages, though, I want to throw out a couple of important preliminary thoughts. First, today we are specifically looking at the gospel proper, or the content of the gospel itself. In doing so, we are intentionally separating out the content of the gospel from its benefits and appropriate response and other important peripheral issues and topics. The benefits of the gospel is obviously a much broader conversation. The implications of the gospel is a big conversation. People's appropriate response to the gospel is another big conversation. And these are all very important 
uh, but the benefits and implications and response are just not the same thing as the content of the gospel itself. That's what we have in view today that we want to make very, very clear, and then we can obviously do a lot of very thoughtful building from there. Second, uh, gospel, and this is probably important to keep in mind, is a historical term that was adopted by the New Testament writers. A gospel, historically, was an announcement or declaration of some good news, hence the meaning gospel and good news. Uh, Think of someone today maybe blurting out newsflash or posting a headline on social media about a current event. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ might be restated today, newsflash, Jesus is the Christ. And that's what a gospel is. And knowing a little bit of that historical background may help prepare us to understand what the gospel is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is at the center of the scriptures and the center of the Christian faith. One of the most famous and prominent gospel passages is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So that seems like the best place for us to to start today as we begin to piece together the various elements of the gospel declaration that is at the core of the New Testament. So let's begin by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the first eight verses, Paul explicitly lays out some important elements of the gospel declaration. First, Christ died for our sins collectively in accordance with the scripture. We're going to see these recur repeatedly, so keep all these details in mind. Second, he was buried. Jesus was raised in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Peter and to the twelve and to 500 others. He appeared to James and the apostles, and he appeared to Paul. These are explicit elements of the gospel. Now, uh, it's a little bit contested regarding the remainder of chapter 15 as to whether or not, as we continue on, some of these elements are also part of the gospel or whether they just comprise the context of the gospel. Um, So we'll look at a couple of those today, keeping in mind that the remainder of chapter 15 as an explicit gospel teaching is a little bit contested, Uh, but we'll take a look in any case, and then we'll circle back around to these again a little bit in the next episode. But as Paul continues on after a short bunny trail, uh, which of course he's quite well known for, and as Paul is getting excited, and this is sort of turning into a little bit more of a sermon, 
we notice some of these other elements that some of which will be consistent with other passages. So if we skim ahead to verse 20, Paul says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he continues on from there. Uh, but this, again, depending on who you ask, is part of the explicit gospel that Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who will later die in him. And then again, after um, some weaving in and out of preaching bunny trails, Paul includes the fact that ultimately all of Christ's people will be transformed and our immortality will be overcome, or sorry, our mortality will be overcome and upgraded into immortal life. Again, the same uh, as Jesus experienced himself in his resurrection. And then there will come the final defeat, not only of all sin, but even death itself. Again, those are either the context in which Paul is outlaying the gospel, or they are part of the gospel itself. Uh, because they are contested, I'm presenting them that way, although I would be inclined to think that they are part of the gospel itself. So there is one of the most prominent and, and explicit gospel passages from the New Testament found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now we're going to look at two other instances in which Paul outlines his gospel explicitly, and we will begin to see, uh, obviously, some overlap in the things that Paul is teaching. So now we're going to flip over to Romans chapter 1 and begin with the first few verses of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and who was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So, what do we learn about the gospel in this passage? Uh, Paul begins by noting that the gospel was promised and anticipated in the Old Testament, and he explicitly says, uh, that the gospel of God was promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So, we want to keep in mind, and this is echoed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well, when Paul repeats the phrase in accordance with the Scriptures, that whatever the gospel is, it is anticipated and spoken of in the Old Testament by the prophets. So, if it's not somewhere in the Old Testament... It's not the gospel, because that is a very clear um, message that's conveyed by the New Testament. Uh, so what else do we see about uh, the gospel? We see that Jesus is descended from David. That's an important detail of the gospel. We know that Jesus is the Son of God, an important aspect of the gospel. Uh, this, this passage in Romans is kind of cool because it includes a Trinitarian element to it, in that part of the gospel is that the things unfolding in Jesus were within the work and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is integrated into the gospel declaration somewhat as well in 
the revealing of Jesus as the Son of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that came specifically through his resurrection. Uh, which brings us to another important element of the gospel, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And finally, uh, the capstone in this gospel declaration is that Jesus is the Christ, our Lord. So unpacking that a little bit, Christ is not a surname or a last name for Jesus. Christ is a title, and it is it is the a reference to the mysterious and highly anticipated uh, God suffering servant king that um, is looked forward to in the Old Testament. Uh, this is the identity of Jesus is he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Jesus is also the Lord, and quite simply, to not lose the meaning of that as some overly familiar religious term, a Lord is someone who reigns a Lord is someone who, in whom is authority and power, and a Lord is the boss or the king. So this is all the gospel. And immediately following the gospel, it's worth noting that Paul transitions seamlessly into the purpose of the gospel, which again is not explicitly the content of the gospel itself, but the purpose therein is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all the nations. In other words, the point of the gospel is to bring about loyal obedience to King Jesus everywhere. Okay, so there is another explicit gospel passage that comes to us um, from Paul's letter to the Romans. There's obviously a great deal of overlap and uh, but also some some uh, additional ideas that are included. Now let's flip over to Paul's letter to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter two, verse eight. Paul has this to say: Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So again, simple but explicit uh, outlay of the gospel itself, that Jesus is the Christ. Again, he is the anticipated uh, Savior of the Old Testament. He is the anticipated figure who will step in on behalf of God, the suffering servant, the anticipated king. Jesus is the offspring of David. Again, part of Paul's gospel. And equally important, uh, Jesus has been risen from the dead. No new ideas there, but some reiteration of the other statements that Paul has made in other places. So hopefully at this point, we're beginning to see that the gospel is a detail of the important aspects of Jesus's life and ministry and the things that he accomplished. So the gospel is not contingent on what we think. It is not about a response it is not a um, theological argument. The gospel is a declaration about what has taken place. The gospel is simply saying, this is what Jesus did. So let's now go backwards a little bit to Mark chapter 1 and another explicit uh, gospel presentation, this time coming from Jesus himself. 
And this comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verse four, starting verse 14. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this gospel. So, what does Jesus himself have to say about the gospel? And incidentally, this passage has a number of parallel passages, which we will not examine uh, all of them because they're essentially conveying the same message. But again, this message is often repeated by Jesus. First, regarding the gospel, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. So to point out the obvious here, something long anticipated and promised is now coming to pass. The time is fulfilled. Second, the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's be clear about the simple meaning of a kingdom and what a kingdom implies. First, a kingdom implies a king. It implies a king, secondly, who is reigning. It implies a king who is reigning over a people. It implies a king who is reigning over a place and a territory. And it includes a king who is reigning through a law or rule by which the king's reign is made manifest and is implemented implemented in the lives of the people. So those are some of the basic elements of a kingdom. And those are worth noting because far too often the meaning of kingdom is totally diluted and washed away as some uh, insignificant religious term. But that's what a kingdom is, so no doubt that's what Jesus had in mind. And the gospel is that God's kingdom was at hand. It was coming about and it was being set in place in and through Jesus. This is the gospel according to Jesus. Now, with all of those things in mind, uh, I want to step back a little bit further now that we've seen some of what the gospel content is explicitly according to the scriptures. It may suddenly make more sense why four different gospels come to us in the New Testament. We have the gospel according to Matthew, we have the gospel according to Mark, we have the gospel according to Luke, and we have the gospel according to John. Now, why would their accounts of Jesus's life be considered the gospel in the Bible? Because their gospels are the fuller and the extended versions of the story of how Jesus became the saving and reigning king. They are the extended version of what Paul encapsulates in Romans and in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Timothy. They are the extended version of what Jesus himself declared uh, when he came in the beginning of Mark and in the other parallel passages that he conveys the same thing. The gospel is the story of Jesus. It is the gospel is the declaration that Jesus has become the king over all creation. The gospel is the declaration that everything anticipated and prophesied in the New Old Testament, excuse me, about how God would save and redeem and right this world. It's coming to pass in and through Jesus. With all of this in mind, we suddenly are hopefully 
um, clarifying the, the most commonly used gospel shorthand that is found extensively through the New Testament, and that is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the long-anticipated God-King that the Old Testament prophets so longingly anticipated. Jesus is the Lord who reigns over all creation, over the heavens and over the earth, who will one day return and manifest that reign completely and fully in the restoration of all the heavens and the earth, and when the new creation comes about and everything is drawn together in him. This uh, gospel shorthand of Jesus Christ the Lord is obviously found countless times throughout the New Testament and church history, and hopefully with a clear understanding of the gospel, we understand why this shorthand was so commonly used, because Jesus Christ is Lord is the gospel itself. And obviously, that explains why it was so close to the heart and central in the minds and thinking of the New Testament authors. So there you have it, uh, the gospel in focus, based on what God chose to tell us in the scriptures, and his authoritative answer to the question, what is the gospel? In the next episode, uh, the context of the gospel, we'll look at the gospel in the context of the biblical narrative, which should be another thoroughly enjoyable and exciting episode. And I think it will really bring things into focus and in a very clear and simple way. But even now, I pray that that process of bringing the world and your life into focus is beginning. Once we understand that the gospel is not simply a religious statement, it has extensive political and social and religious and whole life implications. Uh, That helps bring the world into focus. Why does it do that? Because this world falls under the reign and the dominion of the Lord and King Jesus Christ. You and I are living our lives under the watchful eye of a good and saving king. It's not about uh, a simple religious story. It's not about being good moral people. What's unfolding is a people living their lives before this good king. And that is an important implication of the gospel once we understand clearly the biblical content of the gospel. Uh, But that's probably enough said for now. I will greatly look forward to unpacking the context of the gospel in our next episode. Uh, But for now, if today's episode has helped bring the world into a little better focus, please give it a good rating and review to help others find it. Or you can share this episode directly with your friends on social media. And some links have been provided for you in the show notes to do just that. If you'd like to hear some other thoughts about some other specific things from the Bible or particular big Christian ideas that might help bring your world into better focus, please email me again using the address included in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for being a friend to the show and for tuning in to the In Focus podcast. And may your world continue coming into clearer focus as God leads you into an increasingly eternal kind of life before him.